thank you very much for coming on the Source Material Comics Podcast. We just we just hung out there, what was it, like two weeks ago? We played some Magic the Gathering at my house. First time I ever got to meet you in person. I've known you for a long time, but uh, had a good time. So now you get to come on my comics podcast, and we're going to be talking about Eternals. So I want to ask, what drew you to this Eternals book, and what made you say, yeah, I'll come on and talk about it? Uh, you said Neil Gaiman, and I'm like, I'm there. Uh, Neil Gaiman and I, we've we've had our fair share of spending time where I've read some of his works. I will just tell you that uh, I w- most likely was picking up uh, and reading like trades from the library. Hey, you and I, we, we both respect and love the, the library. library. All right. Well, yep, we just cursed the podcast. <laughs> yeah. I'd get trades from the library of Sandman, sit down and read. And I, rem- I remember mm-hmm. being intimidated uh, because... I'm Mr. Image. I'm Mr. 90s. I like to pick up my comic books and not have them laden with prose and text. Gaiman could sometimes lean that way. It's not like it was really bad, but you could get some lengthy words. And so when it was like, hey, we're going to be doing Eternals and we're going to be doing uh, Neil Gaiman's Eternals, I was like, oh, man, what am I going to be in for? The Eternals, for me, pretty big blind spot. How about you, Coop? Do you know much about the Eternals? Uh, not a whole lot. I know really my only uh, exposure to most of Marvel's cosmic stuff was during my heyday of buying comics between 2006 and 2010. Okay. Because at that point, my local shop closed down. Like, I read all the Annihilation stuff. I pretty much read all four of those miniseries, read uh, some Guardians of the Galaxy, Nova Corps, and, of course, from the Infinity Gauntlet trade, you know, I got to see all the uh, celestial beings and whatnot. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. You know, because you know, Thanos dominated all of them. But, I mean, otherwise, <laughs> uh, most of this, which it's really funny, the Eternals, when you look at it, almost seem like a redo of Jack Kirby's New Gods. Well, because yeah. if I'm not mistaken, this is a Jack Kirby creation. Yes, it is. Jack Kirby, I think Kirby's got that got that knack for doing cosmic stuff. I really have not a whole lot because even when I was buying, well, I wasn't buying. My stepdad was buying the comics with me every week, every Wednesday. Go to the comic shop and hang out. That was my, uh, I grew up in high school reading comic books. And that was my thing was I was the guy that read comic books all day. And what's really funny now is as a grown ass man who doesn't really, I don't really reread things or rewatch things as much. Having those singles, those floppies, even though they were all bagged and bored, like in retrospect, I kind of wish I just did more trade paperbacks. Oh, yeah. Because you have it all there. Like, I mean, I've got some really good ones. Like, I've got the entire collection of 52, and that's awesome. Like, I love, I have all the single issues, and I've got some really stuff I really love uh, in singles, but I also kind of realize that it's a little more inconvenient to not just have them in one book. Yeah, you're talking to a guy who moved 13, I want to say maybe it's 18 boxes of, long boxes of comics uh, when we moved, and... I'm not taking these comics with me. I don't plan on it when we, if we move out of this house again. I thought you were going to say when I die. I was like, you sure you don't want to, you don't want (laughs) a casket built out of your uh, bricks of comic books? No, 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 I'll pass. But I do not want to lug these things up the stairs. You know, to your point, yes, having a story that you really like and really love in a trade is, it's great. I mean, you don't have to worry about the condition of the bot or condition of the issues. You got it all there. You can just grab that off the shelf and read it in a way it's almost kind of funny though and that part of me really misses 
that weekly go to the comic shop and yeah. pick up those new issues and see what's uh, see what's really out and about. I was actually before we uh, entered our call, I was just trying to read like the best comics of 2021 because you know I really want to get back into reading comics. But mm. I'll say that I, I know the industry itself is really hurting because I feel it has a real identity crisis. I do find maybe interesting with a property, just like with Guardians of the Galaxy, like with the Eternals, to where it's a lot more of a blank slate. You can mold these new stories around the stories that are being told in your cinematic universes, and you're not really going to alienate as many people. You're not going to, uh, you're not going to have as much of a whiplash in terms of what you're really trying to offer. What I've noticed, especially with Marvel, because you know Marvel, it is a cultural capstone, man. I tell you, it is, dude. But yeah. I. Uh, what I have found on my time and uh, uh, back on the dating sites is Marvel movies are no longer a nerd thing. It is just a people thing. Right. Dude. So many You're girls right. are like, I really like Marvel movies. And I'm like, <laughs> uh-huh, I'm sure you do, <laughs> which I'm sure they do. But that doesn't mean what it used to. You know, when the first Iron Man came out, like, you know, yeah. it wasn't getting that cultural penetration like it does now. Right. Uh, and with the modern comics industry, just from my outsider looking in perspective, I really feel that they're trying their best to introduce what they're doing to an audience that normally would not read these comic books, but also to try and gear what they're presenting in a way that's going to match what the movies are doing. Right. Like, for yeah. example, when you had the Defenders hit Netflix, mm -hmm. I know they dropped a Defender series starring those characters. Well, anybody that's been reading comics knows that's not the fucking Defenders. No, it's not. That's like, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, isn't it Doctor Strange, the Hulk, Silver Surfer, Namor? But, you know, when I saw them release that, I was like, all right, I know you got to get that brand synergy going on. Mm -hmm. Somebody's going to Google uh, Marvel the Defenders. That's going to pop up. It's going to pique their interest. They're going to want to read it. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. But I do really feel the modern comics industry needs to appeal to people other than white sure. middle-aged men. Sure. And I unfortunately, mean, that's, that's a lot of your business that's going to buy weekly comic books. I mean, yeah. that is the fan base they've cultivated, which is something I find very interesting when I look at getting back to the Eternals. For example, the casting that they have on this new film is far more diverse than what we saw in the this comic book, which uh -huh. still, I mean, did have female re some female representation, which was nice. Not really knowing a whole lot, I was expecting there to be the girl. Yeah. Yeah, which, you know, I knew Kirby created it and Gaiman's writing it. So like it's gonna it's gonna be probably as good as I can think. Cause I, I have a lot of respect for Jack Kirby. But I find very interesting because I want I know they've since re I think in the past this past year they've rebooted the Eternals again after spoilers for a comic book. I think it's seven years old. I know they killed them all, all off in twenty fourteen or something. Okay. Okay. No, I yeah, didn't know I was that. reading up. They apparently uh said, Oh yeah, no, they're actually we didn't create the Eternals to uh, to protect mankind. We actually the, apparently there are dark celestials that oh, uh, are out man. to destroy mankind and okay. only or destroy the universe. And the only reason they wanted mankind protected in any way was because they were going to be the sort of antibody for whatever this virus that was coming along. So it was more of a necessity, far less altruistic. You know, not knowing much about the celestials, I know it's 
they're, they're a big thing in your sort of cosmic Marvel. Uh, For but, sure. You know, something that really worked in this comic getting into a little bit was just the scale of what the Celestials are. Oh, yeah. Because I because starting out in the comic, I didn't know what I was like. All right. What are we doing here? Like, what is this? You know, as you're going through, things are slowly getting reintroduced to you in a way that's very handy, like Amnesia is. It allows your character that you're following to have things that would normally not need to be explained to them. Right. Explain yeah. to them in a natural way as to introduce that to the audience. Readers. So just real quick. Yeah, we already talked about it. Neil Gaiman, he is the writer of this story. This came out between uh, August of 2006 to March of 2007. And art... Uh, you may recognize the art. It's one John Romita Jr., uh, one of the more famous artists. If you've read, we've talked about him a lot here on the podcast. Daredevil, Man Without Fear. Uh, he was the artist for that. When we were talking about Chris Bailey earlier, he is not a fan of John Romita Jr.'s drawing. Because they all kind of look the same. They all got the blocky face. You, anyway. You know who my number one problem artist is with that? Tell me. Howard Shaken. Um, Anytime I saw any of his art in late 2000s Marvel, I knew all the characters were going to have that same sort of facial structure and they were going to have the same line patterns. And I kind of felt like a lot of it looked the same. Like I think he did blade and like the mid two thousands. And I think he did some Punisher work as well. Yeah. He did Punisher war journal in 2008 the 2006 Blade series. Ooh, he did Magneto number one in 2010. He did Avengers 1959 in 2011. I see what you're talking about, though, with the same facial structure, and that's very representative of what J.R.J.R. does. Yeah, he's got this real kind of blocky Their style. noses are all very similar as well. Yeah. So, but I will say that this book did not grind on me like some of the other stuff that I've seen, and specifically the fact that he can draw a Celeste or a group of celestials and make it look like, I mean, <laughs> they're these huge, massive creatures. So I'm going to go ahead and hop into the synopsis of our first three issues here. Here we go. That synopsis is coming up. But first, let me talk about Amazon Music. If you're looking for a good platform that can fill those musical needs, Amazon Music has you covered. If you head to getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network, you can get a free 30-day trial where you can check out over 70 million songs. That's getamazonmusic.com slash W, the number 2M network for that free 30-day trial. In our first issue, we get our introductions to most of the characters that will be taking part in this story. We first meet Mark Curry, a medical student has, who has a strange encounter with a man called Ike Harris. Ike explains that he and Mark are immortals created by a race of gigantic space-born beings called the Celestials who visited Earth long ago. The Celestials seeded life on the planet but also created the Deviants, a violent race that enslaved humanity but then began to experiment on the Eternals after the Celestials head back into space. This starts a deadly war between the Deviants and the Eternals. When the Eternals call the Celestials to return, they arrive and are displeased and wipe out most of the Deviants. Over the thousands of years since, the Eternals began to help human society progress. But Ike says something bad happened. Many of the Eternals began to forget who they were, and Ike is trying to figure out why. Ike's revelation to Mark falls on deaf ears, resulting in Mark unknowingly turning Ike over into the hands of two Deviants. The Deviants take Ike and begin their experiments again, attempting to kill Ike, <laughs> attempting to kill Ike over and over and over until finally obliterating him into Adam. 
Bruce. We also get to meet Cersei, a young woman trying to get her party business off the ground. She finds a perfect client and a man by the name of Druig, a dignitary from Vorozikia, Vorozika, something like that. Uh, who has her, former Soviet bloc nation. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> who has her organize a large get-together. Uh, the guest list includes some high-importance names, including a weapons developer by the name of Thena, uh, or Thena, who has some ties to Tony Stark. Prior to this event, Mark runs into Cersei, uh, Cersei on, uh, well, I think it was at a coffee shop, and the two seem to naturally be drawn to each other, striking up a friendship. Uh, this leads to Cersei bringing Mark along with her uh, as her date to Druig's event. Now, at the event, we soon find out that Druig set all this in motion in order to kidnap the brilliant minds there, using mercenaries to round up the guests. However, when Thena's husband is killed, Druig soon learns he is not the one pulling the strings. Some of the party are rounded up and taken into a helicopter on the roof, leaving many still surrounded by the mercenaries. As the mercs open fire on the crowd, time stops for Mark. He realizes he has super speed. Mark is able to use his ability to take out the mercenaries just before Iron Man shows up. When Iron Man sees Cersei, he recognizes her as she was once an Avenger. However, when she is asked about this, she has she has no idea what he is talking about. When Iron Man returns home, he finds her records have been wiped from the, his system. Now, during all this, Druig walks away, beginning to realize he has powers as well. An ability to use words to manipulate people into believing or doing something. Thena was kidnapped and taken to a cell by uh, the mercenaries, but she begins, or the terrorists, whatever you want to call them, but she begins to realize she has an unnatural ability to understand combat techniques and weapons, which she uses to escape as Iron Man shows up to rescue her. By the end of the third issue, we are shown that somewhere in a large facility in Antarctica, Ike or Icarus is lying very still and words indicate he is preparing to reactivate. All right, there you go. That's our first three issues. Part of me was really kind of wondering where they were going to go with it. You know, we're, we get our point of view character, you know, somebody that, you know, if you're an established reader of the lore, you're kind of waiting for, you know, waiting for that shoe to drop and for him to discover who he is. But you also have it in a way to where if you're not, you know, if you're new, well, you're just along for the ride. You're just there to see what the mystery is as well. I really found our uh, our main our main character here very relatable as his girlfriend broke up with him and took the cat. <laughs> yeah. But as he stated later, he was still happy, you know, like he was yeah. still a happy person. He was still living a normal life. And just seeing where everything kind of evolves from from there in terms of, OK, well, these people are going to have these powers seeing like, oh, well, this guy seems like a bad guy. I was thinking, oh, he's going to be the main villain. Same you know, here. Or, yeah. Druig. Yeah. Yeah. Druig, I thought was going to be our, you know, I thought he was going to be a big force, a big bad, which he's definitely not a good person. No, he's and not. As we go through, he definitely does add some tension into the overall atmosphere of the book. But still, uh, at the end of the day, he's still one of the Eternals. I like the fact that there is a lot of kind of subtle world building just throughout. You know, you see the old man with the dog that's just kind of yelling, <laughs> yeah. uh, which I was just like, oh, OK, I guess he's going to be important. Turns but, out he was know, quite important. Yeah. You know, we see our the kid Eternal. Yeah. Uh, was, Sprite. Sprite, yeah. We see Sprite, spoilers for the rest of this podcast. Uh turns out he's he's kind of yep. the zeitgeist for all their problems. He's definitely one of the reasons why they are in the situation they're in. And it makes sense 
sense as to why where his logic was for creating these issues too no kidding yeah it, sure. it makes a lot of sense but you know it's interesting to kind of see how they also integrated a lot of what had been happening in the current marvel universe at the time as well with the superhero oh. registration act yeah we had so the events of civil war i don't know if at this time they had occurred or it did all right, I know that we're I gearing was, up. I was reading religiously. You're you're speaking to a a person who you know they hand out those checklist cards and stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I had every single comic. Nice, very nice. And then and that's one of the things that I liked about Civil War was that it was a very far-reaching concept. Now, granted, it might have felt a little shoehorned in here, but again, Marvel was focusing on making sure that each book feels like it lives in the Marvel Universe. The Registration Act, that's a big deal. I mean, that should be affecting every book, any any book that uh, that is taking place within, you know, the realms of the world or the United States at that point in time. And I felt like it really worked as an overall event. I know that was my first big Marvel event. I know House of M was before that, and I feel like uh, Civil War was done well. Then that was before you started getting event fatigued, where every event, every year has to have some ground-shaking yeah, it has to have something earth shattering and ground shaking and life changing. Yeah. And there's a certain point to where you get to it's it's almost like in professional wrestling where if you do like I love flippy matches, don't get me wrong, but there's going to be a certain point that you're just going to keep pushing the envelope until it's not doesn't matter anymore. That's where I feel like the modern comics industry kind of kept pushing towards. Mm -hmm. But I do. I like how this book does. I mean, in a way it does with superhero registration stuff, kind of put it in that 2006 time bubble. It doesn't quite make it as timeless by making it timely. But at the same time, it's something that if you don't know much about it, it's not going to really matter. And, you know, seeing everybody's powers was really cool. I was kind of wondering how it was going to work, you know, like... At what point, uh, you know, are these powers going to kick in? Is this something that's only going to be temporary? You know, there's a lot of suspense as to what was going to really happen. Like, I didn't know that they were, as we find out later, essentially robots. Right. Yeah. And it's funny because I had that down here as a question for you, because that happens pretty much at the end of this third issue. We see Icarus or Ike get destroyed. He gets completely just, I mean, after, yeah, he's done. He's gone, but then he's laying in, I think, what they call the stasis chamber or something. But it looks like they pounded this guy, and he's in a he's in a little mold, and he's just kind of laying there, and he's getting ready to reactivate. And I'm like, oh, are these dudes robots? You know, that feeds into the mythology of the Celestials. Like, when Icarus wakes up, the AI in Olympia is talking to him, and it's like, uh, one of the things that keeps referring to him as is, like, the soul body. And you're like, are they trying to say that these people have souls? And so what does this make the Celestials? I mean, the Celestials, they're not a joke. And I know that, obviously, that when we get towards the end of this issue, the the Celestials are very much realized as a potential threat to the Earth. You could easily compare what happens here to religion a little bit. Like, okay, we got a maker. Somebody made these people. You could say that the Celestials are definitely godlike creatures. Uh, I mean, the Celestials are so powerful that, you know, later on, uh, you know, Uatu can't look at it. Galactus poops himself. (laughs) 
It's like, oh, yeah. What was yeah, that? Like, oh, hell no. Like <laughs> these, I mean, these beings, I was reading, I mean, it's Wikipedia, so your mileage may vary, but your gods of like Odin and Zeus and everything tried to take on the Celestials and they got curb stomped. Everybody that pretty much tried to take them over got their asses whipped left and right by these by these beings that more or less created everything here. Uh, gods, but in a way, there almost are some Judeo-Christian allegories uh, in here as well. Just in terms of, I, I think, in some iconography, I do think in some way the Eternals almost seem like, almost seem like, well, I would say prophets, but just more like protectors. I would say right. angels, but uh, I don't know, man. I saw it was funny. I saw something on Imager about how angels are in the Bible. You know, as somebody who totally has read that in the past twenty years, uh, <laughs> has not happened. I've not read the full thing, but uh, <laughs> apparently, typically. Uh, most of your angels are like a flaming ball of like eyeballs, if I'm not mistaken. Like they're quite terrifying, actually. Uh, now, they, are, they are not cherubs. Have you had a chance to watch Midnight Mass yet on Netflix? I just got Netflix access from my lady friend, Natalia, who's probably listening to this podcast right now. <laughs> well, she's wonderful. It's very, it's, yes, it's absolutely wonderful that she shared you, uh, shared Netflix with you because and if I, you have and the I'm chance. I'm sharing with her Disney Plus. Okay. All right. Well, if you get a chance to watch Midnight Mass, uh, I would highly suggest it. But one of the things that, obviously, if you couldn't tell, it's, it's about a Catholic church. So the preacher is talking about how when angels appeared, one of the things that they always said was, do not fear, do not fear. It's thought like when you see something like that, yeah, it's, it, angels aren't going to be, you know, dressed in white robes, clasping their hands together with a with a halo above their head. There, There's probably a good reason why you look at these things and are absolutely afraid to kind of throw this out here. I, and I got a list of them here. We're not going to go into every single one of them, but I just want to list down, you know, the important characters that we kind of already talked about, but I want to give them the actual name of the Eternals. Uh, so Zurus, uh, he is the leader of the Eternals. He's the homeless guy that uh, we see in the first part of this book. And all this is revealed. This is not something that we're kind of spoiling in any way, uh, because it's all mentioned by Icarus. Icarus, when he's talking to uh, when he's talking to Mark, he's explaining who these people are. So Zurus uh, is the leader. Ajak, he's also a pretty powerful Eternal. Icarus is, I I'd maybe if you want to say Superman, I don't know. It's it's not. I I, I can't say that that he can fly. He's got eye beams. That's probably about the only parallels I can. Uh, then we have Makari uh, or Mark. Makari is very similar to Mercury. It seems like there's a you can kind of. Oh, yeah. yeah I did not you, put those two together. And and then, of course, Thena, which I didn't even write her down here. I don't know why I didn't write her down. But Athena, uh, which reminds, you know, she's tactical genius. Cersei, we already talked about her. Druig uh, and then Sprite. So there's your rundown of Eternals. Now, the Deviants, I, I just want to quickly read from the book here imagine a race of people none of whom was even of the same species each with a different look a tribute shape every number of the deviant race was a fresh roll of the genetic dice so the deviants that we get in this book are like they're pretty scary like they have one of them's got a uh, freaking mouth on his belly but they can apparently change their appearance or at least dress up and look human looks like um, he was wearing a skin suit this, oh could be now we'd get some glimpses of the unimind that happens in here which i didn't bring that up when 
Icarus is re- reaching out, trying to reach out to Mark. And of course, at this time, Mark doesn't, he's still not believing what's going on, but there's this power that the Eternals have where they can share their, they can share their mind with each other. They can share thoughts and they can also use that to come together and uh, it becomes a powerful force. So we do get kind of glimpses of the Unimind happening, happening here. And yeah, we already talked about Icarus. He's definitely going through it as the deviants are trying to kill him. And I mean, it's not like they just show him get obliterated. They show him getting killed quite a few times in different fashions. And then I thought it was pretty cool to see um, Makari or Mark find out his powers by the end of that, where I think that third issue. Go ahead. Yeah, I thought it was very well, a well done solution, too, as long as well as him kind of talking through like, I got to be really gentle because I could really kill them very easily. You know, as he's scooping these bullets up with this like metal trash can, he's like, I've got to get them somewhere because as soon as this snaps back, like all this kinetic energy has got to go somewhere. Uh, I was like, oh, I I never would have thought of that. Neat scientific explanation uh, to his powers. Druig's powers. Those were freaky. Druig was going around and he started to realize that he could. I mean, all this chaos is going. He's like, I've got to get out of here. I've obviously things are out of my control. At first, he was like, I'm just going to take hostage. Hostages and nope, nope, that's not the case anymore. So I've got to find out who stuck a knife in my back and and did this to me. So he's trying to leave the facility and people are coming up to him. I think the cops are already there or they're trying to talk to him and stop him. And all of a sudden he realizes that he can pretty much manipulate people by using his own words into believing something. I think the first copy comes across. He tells her something about how when she was little and he knows this stuff about these people, or maybe he's just making it up and they believe it. I don't know. But, you know, when she was little, she was in a crib and she started choking on a toy or something or maybe or uh, her brother shoved the toy down her throat. I can't remember. But she starts choking and he just walks away and he's like, oh, this is interesting. And it just kind of snowballs from there. As we get into some of the later issues, he starts really exploring. And I, I do want to throw this out here before we get into the second synopsis here. Athena does have a husband. Now, remember, all these Eternals, most of them, except for Icarus, they don't remember who they are. So Dina has a husband and there's a flashback scene where, you know, she's clearly been involved with Icarus in the past. These guys have been here for millennia. They're Eternals. There's a bit of a history there, but she has a husband and a son. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's important. Issues four and five. So Druig arrives in fictional former Soviet bloc nation. Perfect. Using his powers to take over the land and become a ruler, Icarus awakens in a very confused state, realizing he is in his home city of Olympia, which I think is below Antarctica. Uh, He reaches out to an AI archive to find out why the Eternals have forgotten who they are. He definitely is uh, made aware of the events. Now, after the events of Cersei's party, Mark seeks out a young boy, the young boy, named Sprite. Sprite is a young television star who Icarus mentioned was an Eternal as well during his early conversation with Mark and after recent events, Mark now believes him. Sprite has no issue with Mark's story and he takes Mark to a, to a park in San Francisco and goes down a hidden elevator. Underground, Sprite tricks Mark into using his super speed to run into a sleeping Celestial. The Celestial's defenses cause Mark to shut down, giving Sprite the chance to shed some light on things. Sprite has been a boy for, I think, millions of years is what he said. An Eternal just like them. He has always wanted to grow up and jealous of all of the adult Eternals he lived with. Using his power of illusion, Sprite tricked the Eternals Ajax and Zurus into giving Sprite even more power, bestowing him the ability 
ability to warp reality. Using this to his advantage, Sprite causes the other Eternals to lose their memory and turns himself from an Eternal into a mortal boy. Sprite leaves Mark incapacitated and heads up to the surface, only to be captured by the two Deviants that we've been seeing throughout these, this series. The Deviants go back down to the Celestial and explain that this dreaming Celestial was imprisoned here because it was the only Celestial that spoke up against the others uh, using the Deviants as food. And now, events have been put into motion to awaken it. Uh, Icarus uh, has stopped by Athena's place to ensure sh she remembers who she is and tells her they need to go get the others as the Dreaming Celestial is about to awaken. They go to recruit a very hesitant Cersei who is still having trouble believing all of this. Now, on the rainy streets of San Francisco, Ajax, who's perfectly aware of what's going on, uh, finds Zurus living as a homeless man without his memory. Ajax is able to have Zurus recall he is the mightiest leader of the Eternals. They leave to bring in Druig, who only agrees to help if they promise not to interfere with his affairs in Vorazakia. Well, I'll pronounce that five different ways. By the end of issue five, the ground in Golden Gate Park begins to shake and the Dreaming Celestial begins to stir. So there you go. That's issues four and five. Let's talk about Sprite. <laughs> it would suck to live in an 11-year-old body for millions of years. So I identify, I understand is what I should say. I don't identify because I am not a boy. I was going to say, uh, <laughs> got something to tell us? No. Yeah, so I, I mean, I understand him being upset and kind of like, what can I do to get out of this situation? Becoming mortal and making the others forget he is who he is is probably the best thing to go. I really felt like in terms of, uh, I wouldn't say it's more as much a villainous scheme. I mean, it is. I mean, what he did was really, wrong and as somebody who's a few millennia old i'm sure he uh is aware which apparently i was reading the fact that gaiman got it to where they aged some was to try and retcon some of the fact that there were different ages to certain eternals okay I mean, it's one of those, I understand like his thought process of like, I am, he's like, I'm very tired of being 11 years old. I did put in here, Druig is not a good dude. We do have, there's some time taken to focus on what he does to number one, the guy that was kind of behind or at least assisted in the potential uh, he, he, he's the guy that basically stuck the knife in his back during the hostage situation. And he was working for some other higher power. Uh, but Druig starts to use, starts to use his powers towards that guy. And then he takes it to the military and then he starts to use it on people who are not loyal to him. And it's not good. I mean, there's box cutters involved and blood spraying everywhere. People killing their own, uh, their friends. Uh, the other thing I have here is, um, I like how the Deviants have their own version of events compared to what the Eternals have. Like, the Eternals believe, hey, we're here. We were brought here by the Celestials. We were created by the Celestials to help uh, to help humanity. The Deviants are, you know, they're the bad guys. And that's why the, it's why the Celestials came down and ate them all up or killed them, actually. I think their story is that they actually eliminated the land uh, full of them. And the Deviants are like, no, no, no. We were food for the Celestials. They were growing us and eating us. And we had this one great Celestial that stood up for all of us and they punished him for it by throwing him here on Earth and imprisoning him. And now we want to bring him back. And that 
it's a great dichotomy when you look at it. You got two sides of the same story. One's being told a little bit differently to serve the other one's needs. And you see that all the time. I really, really did like that way of uh, that little bit that Gaiman threw in here. So surprisingly enough, this was actually supposed to be a six issue series. Yeah. It said that on episode uh, issue five, Gaiman was like, ah, I got too much. We might need seven issues. Yeah, I noticed that it went from the little symbol up at the top. And I think it was issue four. It said issue four, six. And then when you hit issue five, it's issue five of seven. I think it's good because as we talk about what rounds out the series, I think it was needed because if they would have ended six where it was at, they could have ended it with Iron Man going up. Hey, you need to register. And Zerus going, no, I don't want to register. And they're like, OK, all right. And then that's it. You know, I don't I, I think because I didn't see uh, I wasn't aware of the issue seven initially. And I was like, huh, that's a weird place to leave it off. Yeah, same here. Oh, there's another issue. (laughs) And our final two issues, uh, Cersei and Icarus and Athena all arrive at Golden Gate Park to see what they can do to prevent the Celestial from waking. While deviants across the world wait for the sun to rise to power the Celestial. Cersei tends to Mark, who may be in a coma, when Iron Man, Hank Pym, and Janet Van Dyne arrive to find out what's going on. Icarus convinces, I put that in quote, the others not to interfere. There's mind control in here. <laughs> Hank Pym's like, he's got mind control, man. While the Eternals begin to create a Unimind to attempt to address the Celestial. When Ajax, Zerus, and Druig show up to join in the Unimind, the Eternals plan to use the Celestial energy to turn back time. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Uh, that is before the Celestial depowers them. It is at that time, Mark has a vision. Finally accepting he is the Eternal Makari, he converses with a representation of the Dreaming Celestial, who informs him... He planned to awaken and destroy all life on Earth before the Horde, which is, uh, I put down here, picture a swarm of space locusts is what they said, would arrive to devour all life on the planet. However, after awakening, the Dreaming Celestial has intrigued, was intrigued with humanity and, and instead will wait and observe humanity before making a judgment on his creation. The Celestial tells Makari he must tell the others of what he has been told. When Makari informs everyone of his vision, Iron Man wants to figure out a way to remove the threat of the Celestial from the Earth. But Makari says it would be of no use and there is nothing that they could do to act against it. Fast forward a little as the Eternals are back home at Olympia, an army of deviants led by a warrior named Craw appear at their doorstep demanding a fight. Makari requests the authority to address the challenge from Zerus and he grants it but takes his leave. After a rocky start to diplomacy, Craw is finally able to confirm his suspicions that Makari is the Skadrak of Deviant Legend, a figure possessed by the spirit of the Celestials and lore foretells that because of this the Skadrak will be responsible for his own people's undoing. Satisfied, Craw takes his army and leaves. Meanwhile, Zerus catches up to Sprite on board a train, who is able to escape during the chaos of the events with the Celestial. Zerus says that Sprite almost destroyed the world with his actions, and he asks if mortality was worth it. Sprite has no regrets. Sprite asks if he has to go back to Olympia now, and Zerus says no, and that all journeys must come to an end. Sprite hugs Zerus, and they embrace for a moment as Zerus raises his hand to the side of Sprite's head, breaking his neck, leaving the dead child on the train. As Zerus arrives at Olympia, he tasks Icarus and Makari with finding the other 90 plus Eternals and awaken them from their human lives. I mean, let's just talk about it. Zerus and Sprite, what'd you think? 
it was done in a manner that shows that, you know, they're both, you know, they've been through a lot together and they understand uh, kind of the consequences of what's happening. Like, you know, I feel like Sprite kind of knew that when Zerus was there, like, I is it like. Nah, so did you did you see it coming? No, I okay, didn't. Uh, but when it happened, I was not. I was I was surprised, but not surprised, if that makes sense. OK, I was surprised. I didn't expect that to happen. But also, you know, when I think of it logically, I'm like, well, I mean, yeah. How can he trust him considering that he more or less erased every single one of their memories? And who's to say that they can't do it again? Right. You know, I'm sitting there reading and I, and I don't know if it's just because I was like expecting some type of formula here that Zerus will show up. He'll talk to he'll talk to Sprite and Sprite will come back with him and live with him at uh, Olympia. And we're, you know, at least maybe they'll figure out how to make him immortal again or maybe give him his his wish to become an adult somehow. And it's, I think three panels he's hugging him. And then you just kind of see him bring his hand up the next panel. And then it just says crack. Holy sh. Cause I was so used to this formula of everything will work out for this kid. Certainly they're not going to kill a kid on a train. Yeah. I was, when it said crack, I'm like, huh, give him a, <laughs> give him a good neck pop. <laughs> oh yeah, man. Oh man. Like, oh, and then I went and read it again, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I know." You can tell context-wise that like every they both know what's gonna what's going on. They both accept it, and they both know what's got to happen. Which Pretty, I mean, it's kind of in a way uh, sad. It is. It really is. But at the same time, I think you know the fact that I, I like the fact that I really feel that even you know reading everything about the deviants, part of me wonders how in the wrong are they considering their entire race got genocided by these godlike beings and you have this other group that's all up those beings asses all day and that were created by them <laughs> yeah and they are, are invincible to... and can kill all their people you know part of me felt bad for them which i think is was the point of course absolutely uh, i i feel that a lot of our characters are very well-rounded yeah you get there in the last issue yeah, Athena. you know, uh, she's told you cannot keep your kid. What? And he's like, Wait. well, I can keep my dog because it's not a child. Uh-huh. But he did make the point of, well, when you have to bury him, it's kind of that same caveat of, uh, you know, why immortality is kind of an awful thing. Because, you know, everybody, you know, around you eventually dies. Everybody's temporary. Also, a child being raised around a whole group of ageless, nigh-invincible beings. I mean, what is what is that? does that do for a kid, you know? Right, like, yeah. Because he's obviously not old enough to know what, uh, to be able to spell murdered. Or was it killed? Oh, yeah. Yeah, she, she spells it out so he doesn't know. And he's just so he's like, gotta... Dad's what? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're right. Uh, so that goes to support that Gaiman does a fantastic bit of world building in this first series. I mean, we end with it's the beginning. It's just that's what they say at the end. It says the beginning because we get to know our characters. And that's kind of what this journey is to kind of learn our characters, learn who their enemy is and learn you know, what's driving each of these characters, deviants, whatever throughout the book. Because, I mean, this feels like something like, OK, here's the basis for the next like five years of eternal stories you're going to get. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't happen, does it? I mean, they, they get like I think they said the next eternal series that drops is two years in 2008. 
I hate to think about that. Like we got a lot of great character and world building here and it just kind of doesn't really go anywhere. Like I'm really concerned. Just like you said, I'm really concerned for Athena's son. How's that going to turn out? You know, with Makari, the whole Skadrak thing, that's a big deal. I mean, something's going to happen at some point where he's going to fail the Eternals and cause their downfall. And the Deviants are perfectly fine with that. That I'm hoping that they did find a way to continue at least a few of these threads. Um, you said they were killed off, so I'm curious as, as to whether the Skadrak thing comes comes to be, uh, or if they just don't even go back to that well. And plus, we end on a pretty decent cliffhanger. These aren't the only Eternals out there. There are about 90 other ones. So it's like, well, shoot, these guys got a journey ahead of them. They're going to go and find... And this could be like another... At least a two or three uh, set of six issue series, mm-hmm. finding the other Eternals, bringing them in and doing some uh, doing some damage. So if that happens, great. But if it doesn't, I feel like it's something that was left on the, you know, one of those opportunities that was missed. Um, I really did enjoy this series. I thought it was I, I didn't know an Eternal from an Eternal. You know, I it, it is a great introduction to some characters that I had no idea about. I know there's a lot of history before Gaiman get his, getting his hands on him, uh, but he did a fantastic job with what he was given. Uh, and I may just find out if I can read some more about the about these uh, about these characters, about the Eternals. So, yeah, man. OK, so what what are your what are your thoughts on these last two issues and final thoughts on the series? Uh, I really like that. The answer to are you going to register as superheroes is like we're not superheroes. You don't have to worry <laughs> about us. We're not on your side. We're not on their side. It's not a sides thing. When he explained it, it's like when you see two children arguing on the playground you really pick a side on that and i like that so much because it kind of brought a resolution to it but also just kind of showed you where their mindset is and how they're so different from a lot of your other hero teams really uh and i love when neil gaming gets a hold of marvel properties uh like i love marvel 1602 1602 yeah i I haven't covered that yet but at some point i plan to i I I remember reading that one yeah i do have that in trade paperback actually and i really love it i love like reimaginings like gotham by gaslight it's one of my favorite elseworld stories in batman i love elseworld stuff by the way like we did a whole uh we did a whole suite on here of uh, I think we did Gotham by Gaslight. Actually, uh, there was a storyline in DC called The Search for Ray, Ray Palmer. Yep, I know that one. Okay, and they are just going through Elseworlds oh, the trying to find them. Yeah. yeah, so we actually covered that on here, and that was shortly after we did, we did Gotham by Gaslight, and we did... Oh, what's the Superman one? Red Sun. Oh, yeah. Um, I love Red Sun. I got that. I read that from the library once. (laughs) Uh, Support your local library, folks. uh, I really love Red Rain. Yes. But you and I have talked about doing that at some point. And that was back in 2015, 2014. (laughs) That was back in the before times. (laughs) Yes, it was. But yeah, I still actually have. I have all three of those. Red Rain, Crimson Mist, and uh, what was the third one? I love Kelly Jones's Batman art, by the way. I love like the the obnoxiously long ear, pointy ears. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I love that. I love his Batman art so much. So the trilogy is called. Uh, so it's Red Rain, 
Bloodstorm. Ah. And then Crimson Mist. Yeah, my local comic shop had that. And they also had all four issues of uh, Dark Knight Returns in the original format as well. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I got that for like 20 bucks. That ain't bad. That ain't no, bad at all. not at all. I wonder what that's worth now. That's an interesting question. I, I really enjoyed this. It makes me want to go seek out more Eternals properties. But like, frankly, I know I'm not going to get the same necessarily. Right. It did have me somewhat excited to see the film but one thing i will note in what i've seen from the trailers versus this comic is that i don't feel that the deviants are going to be portrayed in as, a, as an intelligent uh, manner yeah i i think we see that in the trailer like they just look they seem like just like which they beasts. could be perhaps they're not showing perhaps they're not showing anything or showing everything but i really like when you can give villains pathos you know, like I felt like even I felt like everybody in this story had a reason to be why they were that in the right light, you could justify it. And I really I, enjoyed that about. This yeah. Book. When it's when it's not so cut and dry. I'm right there with you. I, I love when a villain, even when you know that the villains not necessarily right, you know, like but when you can see their line of thinking. Yeah, you can see their side of things. Right. And I, and I like that. I feel like that is the hallmark of a good villain. I feel like that's what a lot of your Marvel films are frankly missing hmm. and it also is missing the fact that they uh they kill almost every single villain they get that's part True. of the reason why uh batman's rogues gallery has been around so long and spider-man's they're in the flashes they're also uh lauded is because you get to have multiple stories with them not just kill them off in one movie yeah <laughs> was there a mention of the celestials at all in the trailer i can't remember no, but you, I think we see them. Okay. All right. Yeah. So and we also see what looked like. I thought that was Galactus, but that could also be a celestial. Ooh. Well, I feel like I'm primed and ready to go see the theater, to go see it. I'm, you know, I have a better idea of what I'm going to be getting. Well, I think this will bring our discussion of Eternals, Neil Gaiman's Eternals, one through seven to a close. Hey, it's plug time, and you all know what that means. This would be a good time to plug the sponsor of the W2M Network, and that is Grammarly. For you, the listeners of Source Material, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com W, the number two, M network to download Grammarly for free. So, Coop, why don't you go ahead and plug some stuff here? I know you got a couple things to plug, so let the people know where they can find you and where they can find the other things you want to promote. Uh, well, I mean, you can find me in your dreams, uh, <laughs> hearing my dulcet tones and sultry voice. Oh, yes. Put the podcast on sleep mode. That's right. Sleep. Yep. And then you wake up being like, was that a fart? <laughs> Just like my uh, my lady friend Natalia, she's like, yeah, I tried to listen to one of your old podcasts, but uh, oh my god, the audio quality! I'm like, oh, I used to record it on a cell phone. Yeah, man, wow. And there was some... like, you know, some of the old ones where the computer fan would go crazy. Yeah, BTR and... was horrible. Oh my uh, gosh. It was so bad 
Really, in terms of plugs, uh, the Metal Hammer of Doom podcast, I would say we do it every Wednesday, but uh, we got like a few more Wednesdays this year, and that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> not too far so you, Not too far in the end of the year. Yeah, though you can also just pay attention to the Rises from Broadcasting feed on uh, Instagram as well as here on, is it Spreaker? Do I use Spreaker? We use Spreaker, yep. We use Spreaker, I kind of figured. Uh, keep an <laughs> eye on that because there's going to be reposting a lot of Metal Hammer of Dooms from 2014. I know, I think he's went through all the 2012 and 2013s yeah just you know reposting lots of classic quality content that's right check those out in terms of stuff i'd like to promote uh, my friend hannah she has a podcast remind me why i'm sober uh, that's a good one if okay. she does it again if not it's gonna be like all the other podcasts i used to do that are no longer around <laughs> i'm gonna hop that's into all, mine. Folks. all right that's that's robert cooper's plugs thank you all for joining us make sure to give that rattlech in broadcasting facebook page a like to stay up on top of all the great podcasts we have to offer we are at home on spreaker but you can also find us on itunes stitcher tune in radio and recently we have hit the air on spotify find your favorite podcast platform and type in r-a-d-u L-I-C-H to subscribe for some great content. If you enjoyed this show, please feel free to share and spread the word. And as always, we appreciate any feedback and look forward to entertaining you again soon. Yeah.